Hi, everyone. Welcome to this edition of Roar Lions Radio. I'm your host, Bill DeFilippo, joined today uh, just by my pal, Nick Polak. Nick, what's going on? Nothing much. I am sitting here drinking a Color Me Hazy IPA from Hop Capital Brewing in Yakima, Washington. Ooh, look um, at Nick getting into the beer scene of his new... Well, it's not really your new well, home. You've been there for yeah. a month or two now, right? Plus, Yakima is where my mom grew up, so I go there every year. Oh, uh, so. yes. This this one is not new, but it is delicious. It's a great can, and I can color the can afterwards. Ooh, hence so, the color me hazy. So is the can just like white with lines on it, or what's what's going on? There? It's it's black and white. It says color me hazy, and there's a whole bunch of different like designs. There's some hops and a whole bunch of stuff going on around it. I'll post a picture on Twitter.com. Uh, I'm googling what its can looks like. Uh, yeah. I oh it looks like a it looks like a very interesting beer yeah I'm consuming a, a liter of water because I went to go to a movie and as the movies in 2019 have to do they give you far too much of whatever thing you're going to get so I have a liter of Dasani but it was worth it because I just saw Hobbs and Shaw which um, I I don't have my guitar with me so I wasn't able to record an intro so I hope. Instead, uh, my quick summary of Hobbs and Shaw does it for all of you, and that summary is, oh my god, that movie kicks ass. Like, Nick and I were talking about it. Uh, we, The two of us have only seen the first two Fast movies, uh, then he's seen Fast Five, and I saw the one that had Paul Walker, the last Paul Walker one. So we have like a very loose understanding of the series, but having said that, it was everything that I expected. There was a lot of blowing up. Uh, there was a lot of fighting. Um, there was a lot of Jason Statham doing that thing where he just goes like, Oh God, oh boy. And, <laughs> and doesn't really sound like he's saying anything, but whatever he is saying is really cool. Uh, I would recommend seeing it. And I'm actually going to go back and watch all the movies and then go see that. Like Nick, what do you have a plan with this movie? Like, are you going to, watch try and catch up on them and then go see it or are you going to just see it without the context or are you going to pass on it what are you doing definitely not gonna catch up first i've been meaning to go back and watch all of them straight through anyway but if i see it in theaters i will not watch all of them first i mm. uh, my my first thought is that no i'm just gonna wait and see it when it comes out on dvd and i can find it somewhere but this also seems like the kind of movie that would be dope in theaters so oh, i don't know so good <laughs> i love so good. i love movies in theaters every movie is better in a movie theater the only time i've ever been to a movie in a movie theater and walked out disappointed was the ryan reynolds green lantern well the thing with me is like i don't i usually don't go to movies because like i'd much rather spend that time you know playing fifa or watching a basketball game or something like that but in the summer in between that kind of dead period when it goes from the NBA's off, you know, after the NBA's off season is really settled down a bit and then the season starts, I have some time to kill. And mm -hmm. today I decided to use that time to do that. The other two movies that I have seen in theaters over the last year that were recent releases, cause like Shindor's list was in the theater and I saw that were, um, the Meg and my favorite movie of all time, and a movie that I know you're very fond of, Nick, Venom. So mm, great mm, film. Venom, Venom is perfect. Uh, what might not be perfect is what we're talking about today. Uh, we're designed in the middle of our season preview type stuff. What we want to do is look at Penn State's offense. Uh, we did kind of the broad 10,000-foot overview in our last podcast. Next week, we're going to do a little bit of a deeper dive into the defense. Today, we're going to talk about Penn State's offense. And what we did, we went asked uh, the lovely Twitterverse for some questions. We have some ones here that we're going to kind of use as jumping-off points. But at each position, we're going to try and dive in a little bit and kind of answer the big question that exists at all of them. And, you know... Even if this wasn't the case, we'd be starting at quarterback. But it just so happens, Nick, that quarterback has the single biggest question mark, perhaps, on this Penn State offense in that we, the script for, since 2016, 
was Trace McSorley won the job in 2016. He played out 2016, played out 2017. He was going to play out 2018. And then for one year, Tommy Stevens was getting the reins and that all fell apart. And now the Sean Clifford era is here. We think, we think. Yeah. Uh, and by the way, I, if you can, if, if the sound of my laptop working really hard to like be on is like, you can hear it. I apologize, but my computer is such garbage that Skype won't even let me mute when I'm not talking. So, Hooray. sorry. Um, yeah. So like you said, it's like Frank, frankly keeps saying the competition is open for quarterback. It's really not. I mean, I'm sure Levis is Levis. Levis I feel like I say it differently every time. Levis. I'm sure Levis is Levis is, um, I mean, he, he's gotten a lot of rave reviews the last few years. Like, people clearly love his arm. Um, they love his athleticism, his strength. But it's, I, I, would, I don't think this is actually a competition. It's clearly Clifford's job, um, barring, a, barring injury or something like that. Um, but, yeah, it is, like you said, it's, this, this, was supposed to be, this was supposed to be Tommy's year. And it, obviously things didn't work out that way. And we wish the best to Tommy at Mississippi State. Hopefully he gets a chance to start down there. But... Yeah, Sean Clifford's a really a really talented dude, and I think it's fair to expect some growing pains. Um, I mean, Trace McSorley had his own growing pains when he started running the offense back in 2016, so I think it'd be foolish not to expect some of that from Clifford. But he's a really, really talented quarterback. He's got a good arm. He's a great athlete. I think he, the casual fan does not realize how athletic he is and is going to be really surprised the first time he takes off with the ball. Um, I don't think he'll run as much is McSorley but but I mean there's an article that came out today that talked about how Clifford said that he's actually running a faster a faster 40 time than McSorley was when he left Penn State so who knows yeah I I take that with a grain of salt because you know as we all know running the ball in Penn State's all in this RPO style of offense it's not necessarily about how fast you are. It's how good of a decision yeah. maker or when to stick it in the running back's gut, when to throw it, when to tuck it and run yourself. But I would argue that I think just about anything that Sean Clifford gives you with his legs is a bit of a luxury. Uh, again, assuming it's him, for all we know, Will Levis is going to go in and just you know light the, light the practice field on fire turn it into a serious competition, and then when the season starts against Idaho on August 31st, anything can happen. Having said that, I think it's going to be Will Levis. I think – I not Will Levis, Sean Clifford, apologies. Huh? And I think <laughs> that he's going to give this – this offense is – it's just inherently going to look different than it has over the last few years. Between McSorley being gone, um, going from Saquon Barkley, who, you know, just the freakiest of freaks of nature – to Miles Sanders, a guy who was in the program for three or four years by the time he took over, to now where it's Ricky Slade and then maybe Journey Brown, although it sounds like Noah Kane has definitely pushed, uh, made a case for second team, and uh, Devin Ford might be able to get into that conversation. The offense is inherently just going to look a little bit different, where it has to be a little more balanced, where the love's going to be spread a little bit more. And I think that's something that works to the favor of a guy like Clifford, who he seems like he has just about everything you want as a quarterback. He's polished. Uh, he seems to be a pretty accurate dude. He's a smart decision maker. It doesn't seem like the worries that are going to come with him have to come with him not being talented. It's going to come with basically how quickly he gets up to speed. And a good way to get up to speed is to have other places you can go with the football. Having that rotating band of running backs where you can give Ricky Slade two carries, then Noah Cannon carry, then Devin Ford a carry, then Journey Brown a carry, and spreading the ball around on the perimeter to Justin Shorter, Jahan Dotson, KJ Ham, or Pat Fryer, most everyone else they have. But having said all that, so much of this, Nick, come this offense going from, you know, just some kind of an offense that is there to maybe capitalize when the defense something good does something good, going from that to being a legitimately good offensive unit, that kinda comes down on the shoulders of Sean Clifford. Yeah, and fair or not I that I, I agree it's like you said it's going to be a very different looking 
offense this year. You're replacing guy, some guys that have been there for quite a while. You're talking about Ryan Bates on the line. You're talking about Connor McGovern on the line. Uh, Miles Sanders, like you mentioned. Um, DeAndre Tompkins is gone. Brandon Polk didn't have a ton of time on the field while he was here, but he still was here on the team for several years and did see a did see the field. So it, it's a very it's a very new offense. And while there's talent everywhere, it's gonna fall on Clifford to be the guy that to kind of gel all that together. Um, Justin Shorter, Jahan Dotson, KJ Hamler, it's it's a really, really talented wide receiver core. But if Clifford isn't able to sling it the way they want him to sling it, it's really not going to matter. It doesn't matter if they catch the ball consistently this year or not. So, yeah, it's 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 a tough situation to put a redshirt sophomore in who's only thrown, what, seven career passes to be this important. But then again, that's that's why you play quarterback. You play quarterback to be that dude. And by all accounts, Sean Clifford is very much that dude, and he loves that. Uh, he loves that pressure. He loves that exposure. So it it this seems like a pretty great situation for him. So a question for you, and this you know we're just speculating on this. We're not 100 percent sure of really anything. Is what do you kind of anticipate looking at these first? We'll say three weeks before they have to go to Maryland because just because those are th- all it's three home games. Versus mm-hmm. Idaho, 3.30 kick. Versus Buffalo, 7.30 kick. Versus Pitt, noon kick. Do you Ugh. think, Nick, that the plan with Clifford in these first three weeks or so is going to be to take him along gradually? Or is it going to say, listen, young man, ride or die with you from Idaho week one. We're going to let you Go out there, do good things, and make, but also make mistakes and use it as an opportunity to learn from them. I've gone back and forth on that. I, I still am not really sure where I stand because I could absolutely see them using those three weeks as just a just break it in piece by piece, get different pieces of the offense working one by one to kind of ramp up for the Big Ten slate. But the other side of the equation, I think, partially has to do with Clifford and partially has to do with the um, kind of the aura around Penn State right now and the perception of them from the outside. That I mean, we, if you look at all these Big Ten power rankings, everything's coming out. Like, the national people are still ranking them fairly highly. What they're 14th in the coaches' poll and 15th on ESPN, I believe it was. But uh, it seems like every day we see a new round of Big Ten rankings where they're routinely ranked below all three of Ohio State, Michigan, and Michigan State. So I think it's definitely fair to say that the majority of the country is sleeping on them. And like we've talked about so much, that's where James Franklin thrives. That's where he really wants to be. He loves that underdog role. So I, in a way, I could also see him saying, nah, screw it, let's put up 70 if we can on these first three teams. Um, so I... I really don't know. And it also a, a thing to take into account, too, is that how much playing time they'll get for the guys behind him. Like, they'll definitely, they're definitely going to get some of those freshmen in there. So they'll definitely get uh, Lev, 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 God, how, what Levis, is it? Levis? Levis. Jesus. They're definitely going to get Levis some snaps in those first three games. I'd be shocked if they didn't. Um, if for no other reason than he's the primary backup this year. So they, they kind of need him to be fresh. So I, I don't know. I, I, I think in the end, I think they're going to take the first game fairly easy. Maybe start start off running the ball a bit and then try to open it up. And then I think by Pitt, well, also because of Pitt, I definitely wouldn't be surprised to see them just letting Clifford just just saying, just give him the keys and say, go do work. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. We know, I think we know enough about this program and how much pride it takes in being the program in Pennsylvania to say that they're going to want to use those first two weeks to really get up to speed so they can so by the time that game on September 14th comes around they're ready to just firebomb Pitt and make it so Pitt never wants to play them again then they yeah. have that bye week then they have that we, their first road game is that weird Friday night game in at Maryland where it sounds like Maryland is doing everything it can to turn that into the most hostile environment that Sean Clifford will ever walk into. So I really do think that by 
they're going to really start uh, those first few week, that first week, trying to figure things out. But once they start figuring out what works, I would not be surprised to see them try and turn the dial up to ten or eleven for that Buffalo game if they can, and definitely by the time that pit comes to town. Uh, question that we got from Dan, uh, from our pal Dan on Twitter, just because uh, I think this is a good time to mention it. Uh, just you know, we're not going to spend any time talking about Taquan Roverson or Michael Johnson Jr. Hopefully this season because we don't have to. Packages for Levis or bubble wrap on the sideline. So what Dan is asking is the question that I think might have led to me blowing a gasket last year, which is to what extent are we going to see a lion package involving Will Levis? I will let you go first, Nick, because I get very mad about this. There will be absolutely zero plays where Will Levis runs the lion package. That I... I'm not sure the line package is ever going to show up ever again. I think it's pretty clear at this point that it was something that was done to get Tommy Stevens involved. Whether that reason at the heart of it was to keep him interested and try to keep him at Penn State, or if it really was just to take advantage of his athleticism, I'm not really sure because they didn't use it terribly well um, last year. Granted, he was hurt for a lot of the time, but still. Will Levis is a very very good athlete but he's a different kind of athlete than tommy stevens i there will not be a single play with him in the line i certainly hope not because once more i will stress my belief that the lion package is not good because what you're doing is you're taking a running back or a tight end or a wide receiver off the field and you are telling a quarterback to play running back or wide receiver or tight end. And why would you do that when you could instead have a running back or a wide receiver or tight end play those positions? Like, I, it, it's insane to me. It, it's, like, it still makes me mad yeah. that Stevens never threw the ball. Yeah. If Tommy was on the field, one of two things were happening. Either one, he was getting the ball thrown to him, or two, he was just on the field taking away from... I don't know, uh, Mac Hittingham or Cameron. There Solomon was Brent. there was a play that he was gearing up. I think it was on that that one disastrous drive against Ohio State. Oh yeah, yeah. I be- I they, think he yeah. he was geared up to throw, wasn't he? Yeah, and I think they got him, and it led to like a second or third and super crazy long. Yeah, it was like, yeah, it was like a nine yard loss, something like that. Yeah. So yeah, hopefully, uh, no lion because I just I just cannot do that. The lion's dead. I Long hope- live the lion. Uh, be prepared. Wait, no, <laughs> he, di- he didn't sing that after uh, Mufasa died. That was before Mufasa died. My bad. Uh, let's move on to running back. Uh, Matt Truesdale asked a question that I want to break into uh, kind of two parts. Uh, hey, you know, I'll just ask uh, us both of them. One's for Matt Truesdale. Who's the opening game running back, and how does he factor into the passing game? How will Often we'll know a cane factor in. And our pal Chris wants to know, with the running back by committee approach being put into place this season, what do you think the breakdowns of carries will end up looking like between Slade, Brown, and Kane? Um, I wouldn't write off Devin Ford quite yet uh, because Devin Ford might, uh, you know, he's just so talented that it's really hard for me to imagine. Uh, Plus he's coming in at 5'11", 194, which is a, good size for a true freshman running back. So I don't want to totally write off him getting chances. So let's take this, uh, let's just break it down. One, two, three, Nick, uh, who's the opening game running back and how does he factor into the passing game? I think this answer is probably pretty easy, uh, but I want to let you go first. Well, it's, it's going to be Ricky Slade. He's going to be the first guy on the field at running back. Um, as far as how he's going to factor in the passing game, I really don't know. I, I, I'm not sure if I'm remembering this correct, but I think I looked it up yesterday. I think he had one catch last year. I believe he had one reception. So, I mean, that alone was a little bit surprising because one of the things that he was so good at in high school was being a receiving a receiving threat out of the backfield. So, I would think that he's going to get more involved in the passing game this year especially because I think Noah Kane is definitely more of your more of your ground and pound type guy. Um, Devin Ford is a little bit more of a of a kind of a halfway point between Kane and Slade for sure. 
definitely a more of a receiver. Um, but that being said, Kane can absolutely catch the ball too. It's it's when you're when you're picking between three guys this talented, it's hard to really say, oh well, this guy can do this and this guy can do that. They can really all do it all. Um, but I, I think Ricky Slade is definitely going to be more involved in the passing game this year. But that being said, I think that there's such a trust now in Pat Fryermuth and KJ Hamler for both. Um, I mean, I'm sure it's probably there for Sean Clifford already, but it's definitely there for Ricky Ronnie as a play caller that I think some of those, I mean, if you think back a couple of years, all the, all the balls that went to Saquon out of the backfield, I think some of those are just naturally going to be passes a little more down the field for Frymouth and Hamler instead, because those are, you kind of think of those as your high percentage throws and, those guys have shown that they can absolutely get open and make contested catches. So I don't know if we're going to see Ricky Slade come out and be like a, I don't, I don't think we're going to see him get like 40 receptions or anything, but I could see him in the range of like 20 to 25 maybe. Yeah. I mean, that's, that sounds about right. I agree. Um, pretty wholeheartedly. like, I would be legitimately stunned if anyone other than Ricky Slade, uh, is lining up next to, I believe Sean. I, I would believe Sean Clifford in the backfield uh, to start next year. I'm looking back on running back receptions over the last years. Miles Sanders uh, had 24 for an average of 5.8 yards per reception. Uh, Saquon Barkley in 2017, uh, 54 catches, 632 yards. That's not happening. And then in 2016, Saquon was at uh, 23 catches, 347 yards. I think somewhere in the 20-25 catch range. In the event that... Because here's the big thing. I think that they're going to try... You know, they're going to try and get running backs the ball however they can. But I think they have so much depth and so much talent while not having that one guy who is just that clear-cut, top transcendent talent yet, because, you know, they just had Saquon Barkley as a top three NFL draft pick. They just had uh, Miles Sanders go in the second round, and it sounded like he's turning heads in Philadelphia right now. We don't know if they have that kind of guy in Ricky Slade, Noah Kane, Devin Ford, or Journey Brown, even though all of them are pretty talented guys. I think the running back position probably factors into the passing game. Um, if only because of how hard it is for running backs to be blockers, especially younger dudes. But I don't know if there's, you know, one guy gets 20, one guy gets X catches, one guy gets Y catches, one guy gets Z catches, uh, last guy gets whatever's left over. Just because I think there is so much depth in this position. I think that the running backs make their, uh, make themselves felt in the passing game, uh, just because, you take what the defense gives you, and they give you giving the ball to Ricky Slade or Devin Ford or Journey Brown or Noah Kane in space. You take that. But I wouldn't, I don't know if there's really a number that we can put on it. Um, Do you think this is the year we finally have some sort of run running back screen game? That's tough because so much of that's on the offensive line. And I mean, it's been, when, I mean, when was the last time we had more? We ran more than like two running back screens in a game. Well, I I would guess that the argument is you want to be able to get them the ball in space, and it's hard to do that when there are three big old hog mollies standing right in front of them when they catch the football. But I don't know. That's a that's that's an interesting question. That's something that uh, I we might have to sick one of our in, one of our guys. In my on. in my opinion. I think if it's going to happen, this is going to be the year to do it with Michael Mennett and C.J. Thorpe. And just like this is the year where they kind of, you know, I don't want to say that they should take this year as the year where they build towards like being a national title contender next. Like, I don't want to be one of those people who says this year doesn't matter. Next year's the one that matters. But you look down this offense, Steven Gonzalez is the only guy that they're definitely losing next year. They have mm-hmm. the potential to be a really special offense next year, so I wouldn't, I wouldn't be opposed to them just trying to test stuff out. But still, I wouldn't say throw in screen passes just to like 
again, I will sick someone on Ricky Ronnie during a press conference and have them ask that or something, I guess. Um, Actually, look, looking at it, sorry to interrupt, but looking at it right now, I mean, barring some sort of transcendent, like, oh my lord year from Michael Mennett, Steven Gonzalez is going to be the only guy on this offense that leaves, unless, oh, you, unless you want to count Weston Carr. But. Yeah, I mean, going through the project, going through, through the three deep, I mean, KJ Hamler can leave. I'd be a bit surprised if he could. Nick Bowers will leave. Oh, that's right. Redshirt sophomore. That's yeah. mostly fine. Like, it'd be fine if with Nick Bowers leaving. KJ Hamler leaving would hurt. Matt Hippenhammer leaving. As, or, and Cam Sullivan Brown. Like, they're, they could be good contributors, but I don't know. And then Steven Gonzalez could leave. Michael Mennick could leave. Will Fries could leave. Mike Miranda and Des Holmes, if they want to leave, can leave. But I'd be kind of stunned if they did. So next year, it's going to be really, really good, and they they have a little bit of flexibility to try some stuff out. But I wouldn't try. <laughs> Sean, okay, sorry, sorry. You've, you've got to, You've got to be quite. You've got to be quite a right tackle to justify leaving early as a right tackle. Okay, sorry. Sean Clifford could theoretically <laughs> leave. This is true. If he this wins the Heisman Trophy, Sean Clifford should probably go to the NFL. Whatever. Uh, moving on to uh, the kind of the. You know, the second half of Matt's question was how often will Noah Kane factor in? And then Chris's question was with the running back by committee approach being put into place this season, what do you think the breakdown of carries will end up looking like between the guys? I think Well, here's here's the thing. And here's why I think Chris's question is really tough. One, it seems like I believe James Franklin has said Journey Brown hasn't been with the team this summer which has given a bit of a window for a guy like Noah Kane and a guy like Devin Ford to chip into his carries. And we don't quite know how that situation is going to work out. But even if that didn't happen, it seems like Noah Kane has been pretty impressive with the physicality and how he's able to act as a bit of a counterpunch to what Ricky Slade is going to do. So if I had to put numbers on it, I'd probably guess that I don't know, 60% of the carries are going to Ricky Slade and the rest are broken down between the remaining three guys with probably Noah Kane having a bit of a leg up on the other two, Nick. But I, like, I, I don't know for sure. I think that sounds fair. I, I might lean slightly more towards Slade getting like 50% of the carries and the rest is split up, but... I don't know. I I I think it also I, it, it's it's an impossible question to answer, obviously, because I James Franklin has shown that if you are doesn't really matter who you are if you if you're balling out during the season, you're going to get more playing time. I think about Saquon when he was a freshman; he started balling out, and then he took over Akil Lynch's job. So if Noah Kane starts playing, or Devin Ford start playing, or Journey Brown start playing really really well, I could easily see them kind of taking over that de facto starting role. Um, or at least kind of splitting with Slade 50-50. But, I, yeah, I, I would be surprised if any of the backs carried more than 60% of the load this year. I think that's kind of the absolute max. And I think the, the good thing that's happened out of this, and it's partially a testament to Penn State and partially just a kind of a college football thing, is I think these, these running backs are realizing more and more that you, you don't want to be the guy that was a starter for three years, got 200 carries a year going to the NFL. That's a lot of tread on your tires. And it kind of all started with Alvin Kamara when he went to the Saints. Um, he had very few, very few college carries, really, after he, what, he started at Alabama and transferred to Tennessee. I think really his Tennessee year was really his only, his only year, kind of like Miles Sanders. So I think they're realizing more and more that, just showing what you can do in short bursts and keeping your legs fresh is a really a really valuable thing, especially with the state of running back contracts in the NFL these days. They're really not getting as much money overall as a whole. So I think, I mean, Noah Kane is a guy that talked about that when he committed. He talked about being part of this committee, talked about getting on the field quickly and getting a chance to show what he can do. So I, it seems like all these guys are comfortable with that, which I think is... Uh, that cannot be taken for granted for sure. That's that makes coaching them a whole lot easier. I'm going to kind of 
put you on the spot here, and I'm all, you know I'm also putting myself on the spot with this. In a best case scenario, what does the running back rotation look like by the end of the year? Hmm. Be, I I will answer this question because I uh, since I threw it on you, I had an extra like thirty seconds of thinking about it, <laughs> but. I would basically say that Ricky Slade is getting, you know, the lion's share of the opportunities just because for how good Devin Ford is, for how good Noah Kane is, for how fast Journey Brown is, only one of these guys was a five-star, all-everything recruit, and that was Ricky Slade. And if he is able to play to his ceiling, I think his ceiling is just different from the other guys. So Noah Kane ends up contributing as the between the tackles guy who trudges forward for four yards a carry Devin Ford gives them some a little bit of flexibility and the opportunity to do some stuff but Ricky Slade just turns into the all big 10 caliber running back that we all think he's capable of being that's interesting I'm not sure I totally agree with Slade having the highest ceiling I think Kane and Ford are a little bit more at least from where they, from where all three of them were coming out of high school, I think Kane and Ford are a little more complete. I think Slade, Slade has a little bit more, a little bit more playmaking ability. I guess we'll call it. Um, definitely has more of an aptitude to break the big play than those two. But I think overall, as running backs, considering power as a big factor too, I think I think Kane and Ford are further along than Slade was as a freshman, but I think I I think I still agree with you overall that in the ideal scenario it's Ricky Slade kind of taking taking the bull by the horns just because he I mean that that is Ricky Slade plays with elite playing speed for sure. And I think if you have him going at full full throttle alongside the other skill guys they have on the offense, then that's probably the best combination you have. But I I think it's really close between those three guys as to who who really is the the most naturally gifted. Totally fair. Totally fair. I mean it's it's a situation that the, every spot on Penn State's offense is question marks to one extent or another. I think running back is the most is, is the one that we're going to have the most fun watching it get answered. Uh, moving Definitely. on moving on to a position where it might be a little bit more complex, um, Penn State's wide receivers. No one yeah. will deny that there is talent, just gobs and gobs of gobs of talent here, Nick. But for the love of God, please catch the goddamn football. That's all I want. Yeah, that 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 cannot happen. Again. Oh my oh, god! Yeah, that was that was pretty brutal. Uh, I it, it was the kind of thing. I mean, we look back on Trace Mc Nick. You did uh, the numbers on you know Trace's adjusted completion percentage last year. When a guy like Trace McSorley, who in the two years prior completed 66.5% of his passes and 58% of his passes, but was, you know, throwing bombs all over the place, is dropping down to a 53.2% completion percentage. That's probably not his fault. And then you go and look at where the receptions went last year. K.J. Hamler led everyone with 42. Pat Fryermuth right then had 26. Juwan Johnson had 50, uh, 25. Miles Sanders had 24. DeAndre Thompson said 25. There wasn't a guy. The, the receiving game did not have the guy to go to. K.J. Hamler had his ups and downs. Pat Fryermuth was, you know, he, he took some time to emerge as freshmen are kind of want to do. Juwan Johnson just wasn't able to reach that ultimate ceiling of his. There was not a guy, Nick, and I think the reason that I am optimistic about the receivers coming into this year, and I want to know if you agree, there are a few guys who have the opportunity to really be that wide receiver one that Penn State hasn't had since Chris Godwin or, or Deshaun Hamilton. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think 
like you like you mentioned with Juwan Johnson. Now, Juwan Johnson alone was not he was not the reason the receivers Correct. struggled last year. Every everybody struggled. Even KJ Hamler had his had a good number of drops. Everybody dropped the football basically except for Jahan Dotson. Everybody else, I believe, had at least at least two drops on the season. Um, but the lack of Juwan Johnson's ability to command defensive attention was a really big detriment to the offense. Not only because he didn't provide that consistent target for McSorley that he needed to be, but he wasn't he just wasn't pulling enough attention away from other guys to get open. And I think you saw how it was it was very possible for that to happen because when Jahan Dotson stepped in for Juwan Johnson occasionally, he got open and he made plays. Granted, he only had, I think it was 12 catches last year, but he was only in there for a very limited time. And when he was in there, he made plays. He got himself open. So there were definitely avenues for Johnson to be that guy, and he just did not did not take them for whatever reason. So I think it's we're kind of, as a collective fan base, putting ourselves in a somewhat precarious situation expecting a redshirt freshman in Justin Shorter to become that guy immediately. But the good news is that they also they have another redshirt freshman, Daniel George, behind him who can try to fill that role. Cam Sullivan Brown has shown a few flashes of being a really competent receiver, and he's a pretty big body out there. So that, I think, is going to be the biggest thing. We know that KJ Hamler is a chess piece. We know they're going to move him around. We know Jahan Dotson is great at wiggling free, finding open space, getting to the sticks, but they really need Justin Shorter to step up and be that, for lack of a better, for lack of better terminology, be that Calvin Johnson esque presence. Just be the guy that defenses can't ignore. There aren't many people like Justin Shorter, six four, two thirty five, with his physical tools, is something that you just don't get all that often, and. Who knows what he turns into, but the possibility of him being that game-breaking option, that legitimate wide receiver number one on the outside who makes life easier for everybody else because the offense opens up in such a way when one or two defenders have to focus on Justin Shorter. That takes away a possible guy who can keep an eye on a Jahan Dotson or a Daniel George or a KJ Hamler or a Pat Fryermuth or any of the other receivers and tight ends that Penn State might possess. And that's, that's just so big. When you have a young quarterback, when you have young running backs, and they need some time to kind of get settled into the flow of college football – having a guy who could take that pressure off of their shoulders is big for them. And Shorter is the guy who has the talent to do that in the event that he needs some time to come along because he's a young dude, he was injured last year, all that stuff. I think some of my optimism also stems from the fact that we know what K.J. Hamler is, and we it seems like they understand in that uh, offensive coach's room that they need to find ways to just get that dude the football because he can make something happen. Jahan Dotson seems like the kind of guy who runs right to the sticks, turns around, you throw him the football, and as long as it's on target, he's going to catch it. They have so much talent in this passing game, Nick, but at the same time, we were saying the same thing last year, so... Why should it be different this year than it was last year, in your estimation? Because hope is a beautiful, beautiful thing. Um, <laughs> uh, honestly, I mean, if you if you think about going in last year, I don't think we ever would have expected the those types of, the types of struggles that we had. I mean, there was, I mean, DeAndre Tompkins had gotten better every single year until last year, and so it's. T- talent, I guess, just the overwhelming abundance of talent in that wide receivers room would be a big reason to 
have that hope. Um, yeah, I don't, having, I, I, I'd also I'd argue. I was setting. I was trying to set you up for this. Having a, a wide receivers coach who is a wide receivers coach. Yeah, uh, that's very true. And was a wide receiver. That's probably going to be something that helps. I imagine it's going to be something. Again, you can't really. I don't think you can hate on David Corley too much for being thrown into a really crappy situation for him, uh, where he came expecting to have one job and then he was given the other at, you know, just kind of at a left field. But Parker seems like the kind of guy who just knows how to coach up receivers. And that's something that you kind of got to hang your hat on. Uh, I, I Nick, I noticed on our um, little outline thing, I didn't put tight ends down. Um, so if That's they're, fine. we yeah, can talk about them. I was gonna say the tight ends. <laughs> it seems to me easy enough. Uh, Pat Fryermuth looks like he's going to be the guy. Nick Bowers, if he's able to go in and stay healthy, I'm sure, sure, sure he's going to find some ways to contribute. And then Zach Koontz. Um, Listen, if he's going to end up doing the Mike Gesicki thing, it wouldn't be a bad thing at all if he ends up doing it this year. I, I think that kind of sums it all up. Now, I first of all, I'd like to point it will end make me laugh forever. I don't think Dan Smith has ever spelled Pat Fryermuth's name correctly, like ever. But <laughs> still love you, Dan. Um, I I'm probably the biggest Pat Fryermuth stan out of in the entire world. I was vouching for him to be the starter well deep into the summer before his freshman year that being said i am so ridiculously excited to see a healthy nick bowers i i i want nothing more than him to stay healthy for a full season i don't even i don't care if he's the second tight end or not he his highlight tape from high school is some of the most entertaining highlight tape i've ever seen right up there with um think about uh who, who am i thinking of the the Daniel Joseph, his his highlight tape was also outstanding. But Nick Bowers, his highlight tape from high school, he he he's throwing the ball, he's running the ball, he's cat. It literally it's everything, and he is such a ridiculous athlete. And so few people know how athletic he is because he's spent the better part of the last five years being hurt. So if for no other reason than just just his, I mean his well being, just let let the dude shine a little bit before he heads off to whatever's coming after college and he's so talented and such a ridiculous athlete that if he can ball out this year there's no reason why he couldn't find his way at least onto a practice squad in the NFL and maybe sneak his way onto a roster with a good showing so I it's a really really good tight end group between Firemouth Bowers and Zach Koontz Um, I think Koontz is probably still a year away but it's it's a really and not to mention not to mention uh, Brenton Strange also so it's a really Really talented group. That probably the most solid group on the offense. It's a talented and solid group that benefits a lot from having a clear cut number one guy who we know that he's good at what he has to do, and yeah. that makes it a little bit easier for Nick Bowers to be brought along easily. You know, so they can listen to his body for when he needs to take those breaks when he uh, may not be feeling hundred percent. Uh, it makes it easier to incorporate Zach Koontz and Brenton Strange if you have to. That's all great, and that's something that I think is going to really help. You know, a good tight end is a, the safety blanket that every quarterback wants, and I think that Pat Fryer with Sean Clifford connection has the potential to be a really special one. Uh, the one pass catcher question that we got, uh, what role do we see for Weston Carr? Uh, it's a serious step up in competition, but if a y- couple young receivers struggle again, it seems like he could see a lot of time. Uh, Weston Carr, of course, the uh, junior college transfer from Azusa Pacific University, put up some really, really silly numbers uh, while he was there. I believe he was a first-team all-conference option. Uh, Let's see. Uh, He, where where on earth is this? Uh, As a sophomore, he had, where is it? He had a lot of yards. As a, a sophomore, catches. 86 catches, 1,458 yards, 15 touchdowns. Uh, last season, he was at do 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 uh, 
three catches. Oh, wait, I believe, uh, yeah, that's his career. Those are his uh, career numbers. So for his career, uh, 134 this, this catches. Is, this is great listening. Yeah, 134 catches, 2,361 receiving yards, 24 touchdowns. He's a good football player. Um, like uh, the question says, it is a step up in competition, but there aren't many, you know, mature six foot two outside receiver options that really grow on trees. And you know, maybe he is the kind of guy if he is able to take to uh, major college football quickly. You put him on the other side of Justin Shorter and give KJ Hamler and Jahan Dotson more room to operate in the slot, and who knows? You can that that's a potential added dimension to the offense. But Nick, I, I really, while I think he's good, and while I think he has the potential to do some fun stuff, banking on him too much is uh, I don't want the, him to be receiver Kevin Reiner. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, how, how do you Kevin like Reiner. that pull from the deepest, <laughs> darkest recesses of my brain? Oh, Kevin Reiner and Brennan Thrift, baby. Um, yeah, no, I, I agree. I, I think I full, I pretty, I expect him to be part of the two deep for sure. I think, I mean, Penn State pretty, they've shown that they like to rotate their receivers a little bit, not quite as much as some of their other positions. But I think we'll definitely see him this year. I, I mean, anything they can get out of him is an added bonus. It's house money at this point, so. I, I think, I don't know, i put him down for like 15 catches maybe and maybe make a little impact. Maybe maybe have a game where he goes off a little bit early in the season. Uh, I'm not expecting him to reach out and take a starter's role, but I, he should be able to contribute. Final position group, offensive line. Uh, if we had to guess on a left or right, I'm pretty sure Nick and I are in agreement on here. Uh, Rashid Walker at left tackle, Stephen Gonzalez at left guard. Stephen Gonzalez at left guard, Michael Mennett at center, almost certainly written in pen. Uh, Will Fries at right tackle, probably written in pen. The kind of swing positions are left tackle where Rashid Walker might be the best option there. And then right guard where CJ Thorpe can bring some nastiness, Mike Miranda can bring some nastiness, but... You know, I I have no idea how that battle plays out. But, Nick, this group is interesting. I have my own reason why I think this is interesting. I want to get your take first. What intrigues you about this offensive line? Because when you have a young quarterback and young running game, having an offensive line that can take some of the pressure off of them is invaluable. But at the same time, if that offensive line isn't up to snuff, oh God. Yeah, I I think and maybe maybe a little unfairly that I say this, but I, I think part of what intrigues me about this line is just it's something new. We've seen I mean, we've seen the Ryan Bates, Gonzalez, uh, McGovern, Fries kind of grouping for we've we saw those four together for two years. Bates and McGovern we'd seen for quite a while and it's every year we were just hoping and hoping that this was going to be the year they take the next step become one of the better units in the Big Ten and it just never really happened um, so I, I think if nothing else this new alignment offers a hope of something better that being said, it is going to be a tough ask for Rashid Walker on that left side. There's some really, really good pass rushers he's going to have to go up against in the Big Ten. Chase Young, uh, AJ Epinesa, there's, there's a lot of really talented guys he's going to have to face. But the thing that makes me feel a little more kind of uh, comforted is that we've been hearing about this C.J. Thorpe-Mike Miranda battle from really day one that this job opened the second they announced that thorpe was moving back to the offensive line we've heard about this battle we haven't really heard about a battle at left tackle at all and i'm hopefully that's because walker has kind of taken it and run with it and from what we heard from out of the out of practice last year and how well he was performing i think that's the case rather than just nobody challenging him but that for me that that's what that's what's exciting for me it's it's something it's something new it's a chance to grow where i think the previous group had pretty much hit 
their ceiling. We knew what they were. They there wasn't really much. There wasn't much else to do. Um, but we've seen Gonzalez continually improve, really, from a guy who was pretty underwhelming the first time he hit the field to a guy who was probably one of the better, if not the best, left guard in the conference, at least in the top two or three. Michael Mennett, incredibly cerebral guy. He's been really, really good at center. C.J. Thorpe, we know we saw C.J. Thorpe on the defensive line this year. We know he's a bully. He, if he can, if he cannot punch any more dudes in the face, then he's probably going to be really, really good at right guard. Will Fries has shown flashes. I mean, think back to 2016 when he just completely neutralized Rashawn Gary. I mean, I don't think Gary had a single quarterback hurry or anything in that game. Um, so there's a ton, a ton of potential here. I would argue more potential than we've seen in the last four years out of the offensive line. Yeah, and the th- but kind of going off that, taking a slightly more pessimistic look at it, is I can't help but wonder if this offensive line isn't able to take a bit of a step forward and it isn't able to be a solid unit. It has some of the weak, has some weaks. Uh, it's not able to consistently generate anything in the running game. It's not able to keep Sean Clifford upright. I do wonder about the job security of Matt Limegrover heading into his fourth year here, I believe, uh, ever since he took over for Herb Hand. I, it's just a very interesting thing, because I think Limegrover is a good offensive line coach, but I'm interested in knowing in just kind of that worst-case scenario option if he's the guy that if this offense isn't able to reach its potential, he's the one who kind of, who ultimately has to pay for that for his job. The good news is, like you mentioned, uh, Mennett and Gonzalez are two very, very good options along the line. Uh, Fries, when he is uh, in a rhythm, is a good option at tackle. Of course, he had some struggles last year that Hopefully he was able to learn from and grow from. And then C.J. Thorpe, Mike Miranda, and Rashid Walker are all really, really talented dudes who have the potential to, you know, be stalwarts at their positions for the next two, three years. So this offensive line, in the event that it is able to gel and it's able to get through, you know, really... As I look at the schedule, I'm not too worried about Idaho. I think Buffalo uh, lost their really good pass rusher uh, from last year's team, who also happened to be named Khalil. Uh, <laughs> Pitt's offensive line, uh, Pitt's defensive line. Uh, I'm sure, like I can't think off the top of my head, is is Dwayne Hendricks uh, or whatever his name is still there? No, Rashad Weaver is their uh, option up front. Who, former feature Penn Stater. Former feature Penn Stater, who can create a little bit of havoc, but that pit front doesn't seem as imposing as, or it doesn't seem as scary as we've seen out of Pitt's fronts in the back in the past. Maryland, like I, their pass rush isn't really anything, unless I'm mistaken. I can't think of anyone along their defensive line who can really strike the fear of God. Oh, Adam McClain is a. But. Is Cowart? I thought McLean was gone now. Is he? I think he's gone. Oh damn! Um, is Cowart eligible this year? Byron Cowart? I don't think so. Okay. Uh, well then, yeah. No. <laughs> let me get, give me a second. I'll look this up. Uh, well, while while you're wait, doing that, he, I, uh, wait, wait, wait. Actually, wait. No, Byron Cowart's on the Patriots. I. Th- wait. What? Yeah. Oh damn. Oh, that's right, Cowart. Okay, yeah, that was la- okay because I thought he was there too. I Keandre Jones is there, and he's a talented guy. But he, yeah, and and he just got ruled um, eligible for this year. Oh, okay, okay, okay. But maybe that's yeah. what I was thinking of. I'm pro- uh, no, no, I was definitely thinking of Coward. Regardless, I mean, Purdue. Looking at Purdue, their defense—it's fast, it's physical. Uh, George Carlaftis uh, has the potential to be a freak of nature at defensive end. But we also know that when Purdue's defense springs a few weeks, they get really leaky. So as long as this offensive line Unless is really... Unless they're playing Ohio State. 
But um, well, even then, I think Ohio wasn't Ohio State in like the thirties or forties. Never mind. Oh, they were they were it was like twenty eight, I think. Uh, but even then, like as long as they're able to gel by the time that they have to travel to Iowa, which is I think kind of the overarching theme of this offense is they have to get to that Iowa game, uh, and then they have to worry about that Iowa defense. They have to worry about playing in Kinnick. They have to worry about AJ Epinesa. Be able, but to... thankfully, no more Anthony Nelson. Thank God, no Anthony Nelson. And then I believe oh, they had one Lord. other. Yeah, they had one other like freakishly long uh, defensive lineman. I have never been more consistently terrified and frustrated by a defensive lineman that was not like first round talent than Anthony Nelson. Just knocking stuff. Having that—that that was the place where having a six foot tall quarterback really hurt. But yeah, I get. Sure. Get to that Iowa game and have the offensive line gel. Then you have the, you know that Purdue Michigan State weird stretch, but you get to that point in the calendar and you're feeling good. I think if the offensive line has kind of come together, and if not, then, well, then you're starting to worry about what happens when you go against those next three teams and when you have to travel to Columbus at the end of November. Uh, I, have, I have two things to add to what you said about the offensive line, real quick. Go ahead before you before you move on. Um, well, you said about the run blocking. I, I think that I think compared to last year, I think this could actually be a better run blocking line, specifically because of that right guard position. All we've ever heard about Miranda and Thorpe is that they're dudes who just want to take your lunch money and give you a swirly. Whereas we never heard that about Connor McGovern, right? Connor McGovern's just that guy who was really, really solid, played a lot of spots. But Thorpe and Miranda both want to get to the second. They want they want to humiliate you. They want to make you look like an absolute fool. So I think that's going to be really helpful for the running game. And then the second thing you said, or, well, not the second thing, but the other thing you said about Matt Limegrover potentially being the fall guy if things don't go well, I think that another motive for that is Tyler Bowen. Because I think they need, I think Franklin knows he needs to keep Tyler Bowen on staff at all costs. And he's been an offensive line guy through and through so he played there i believe when push comes to shove you might need to keep bowen instead of lime grover just thinking about long term thinking about what he can do as a recruiter so just something to, that's just it's another it's another factor not a huge one but it is a factor yeah i mean who well that that's a situation that i'm sure uh we'll be talking about by the time by season's end regardless but neither here nor there let's get to the f- final thing we're talking about just kind of the big overarching uh, question regarding the offense. And I think the best way to address this is the question uh, that Jenna asks, which is, is it going to be okay? And, and the answer to that question, Jenna, and to humble listeners, is that climate change is coming to kill all of us and no, it's not going to be okay unless we do something radical to transform our society. But, uh, on the more micro level of this football team, um, I don't know. I, Nick, what do, you, what do you think? Yes. Think, things are going to be fine. It's, I think it's going to take the offense a couple games, maybe, maybe like six quarters at the least to really kind of find their stride, but the good news is that Idaho is really bad at football. Buffalo is not nearly as bad as Idaho, but not not the same class. Penn State really doesn't have to do much to be able to beat up on Idaho. Pitt looks pretty downtrodden this year. Um, there's really not much to fear in the first three games. Really, first four. I really the only thing to fear about Maryland is that it's a weird Friday night game and they're being weird about it. Um, it's it's a pretty soft landing for a team that has a lot of transition on the offensive side of the ball. But I think the other thing that you need to consider, and we'll talk about this more when we get to the defense next week, this is going to be a really, really stupid, good Penn state defense. Then they're going to put their offense in really good positions with really good field position. They're going to keep teams off the scoreboard and they're going to, they're going to make lot make, they're going to make the offensive live offenses life. Jesus really really easy so i think that is going to be a huge boon to what sean clifford and company are going to try to do this year yeah i mean 
I'm basically there. I think that the offense is fortunate that it has a top five, top ten defense on the other side of the ball to kind of, I don't want to say hold their hand as they get through these first few weeks of the season because, you know, there's plenty of talent there. And like we mentioned in the last pod, if you believe in James Franklin's ability as a recruiter, this is one of those years where that pays off. But the offense is going to have the opportunity to take some time to learn because of the defense. Um, I think that's probably a good thing as long as they're able to take those lessons, learn them, and apply them pretty quickly. Um, I don't know. I don't have major concerns about this offense that are like losing sleepover. It's not like, say, you know, uh, I don't want to say last year's season. It's not like, say, during the 2014-2015 seasons where it was, are the defensive tackles who are moving to offensive guard going to be able to give Christian Hackenberg more than have to throw the foot? Like, those questions don't exist anymore, which which is good. Where I think the questions exist with this team is that if you believe that Penn State football is going to have a top five, top ten defense, so if you believe that Penn State football is going to have one of, if not the best defense in the Big Ten and one of the best defenses in college football outside of Clemson and outside of Alabama. And, you know, maybe one or two other SEC teams that are all, I can't think of off the top of my head. What you were basically then saying is that you were banking on the offense to be able to be a top X unit. If it's a top 50 unit with that top 10 defense, then they're probably, you know, I hate to say it, they're probably going to be in the general area then you're Michigan. Yeah, I, I mean, last last year, I mean, I'm looking at SP Plus right now uh, from last season. <coughs> oh, excuse me, and just going through this, uh, Iowa fit number 54 offense, number 18 defense. They finished 23rd uh, based on SP Plus. Kentucky number 64 offense, number 15 defense. They were 25th in SP Plus. So Penn State would be a little bit better than that. If it ends up being a top 40 unit, then you're talking about being in the area of, say, I don't know, uh, South Carolina last year, number 21 offense, number 40 defense. They were 20th nationally. Uh, Penn State last year, number 11 in defense, number 36 in offense. Fresno State, uh, number 12 in defense, number 37 in offense. Those teams were 15th and 16th, respectively. That's that area. If the offense, I, th- I a- think right there, there's no way that this defense. Mm. No, I'll save it for next week. Never that's mind. fine. That's fine. That's fine. If no, you're then no, talking no. about it being a top 30 offense, then you're looking at Michigan last year, which was 25th in offensive S and P plus and ninth in defensive S and P plus. They were 10th in the nation. You look at Mississippi State, 32nd on offense, uh, first in defense. They were eighth. Then you look to top 20. That's when you get into where Auburn was. 19th in offense, 6th in defense. They were the 7th best team in the country last year. LSU, 5th in defense, 30th in offense. You know, their special teams were just like crazy good. They were 5th. So this is the this is what we talk about when we're talking about the offense di- ultimately is what ends up dictating it because if Penn State's a top 50 offense, it's going to be, you know, right around in the 20 to 25 range. If Penn State's a top 40 offense, it's going to be somewhere between, you know, 15 and 20. If it's a top 30 offense, it's probably going to be somewhere pushing 10, right around 10 to 15. And if it's able to be maybe a top 20 offense, if it's able to be a top 15 offense, which are really big asks, and, you know, it's not shooting itself in the foot on special teams, which probably won't, which I hope won't happen this year, then you're talking about one of the best teams in college football. And that's a lot to put in an offense, but it's exciting that that exists for the offense. And it's a big ask of Sean Clifford. It's a big ask of Ricky Ronnie. It's a big ask of everyone on this offense. 
but the talent is there, the pieces is there, pieces are there, and if it's able to all come together and they're able to live up to the fact that this offense is basically all four and five star recruits, then yeah, Ricky Ronnie, make make this happen. You have all the ingredients. Let's put them out there. Let's make this be a top 20, top 25 offense and be in contention to win the Big Ten and be in contention, hopefully, to compete for a playoff berth. There is a lot in that. And it's a lot of unknowns. And there is a possibility that this defense, this offense has the potential to make it so Penn State's unable to reach its ultimate potential. But while that is a bit scary and a bit concerning and all these other things, if you're going to look at it from a little more pessimistic angle, at the end of the day, all you want is a shot. And this Penn State team, thanks to, you know, based on what it has on defense and what it could has on off, have on offense, has a shot to be really, really good. Nick, I want to give you the last word before we do a sign-off. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I feel like you just wrapped up all my thoughts pretty well. I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, let, I'm gonna let you leave on that. That was a good thought. Excellent. Leave on that. All right, perfect. Well, thank you, uh, everyone, for listening to this edition uh, of Roar Lions Radio. We always appreciate you taking the time to listen. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast. Everything is in the post on our site. All the places where you can get this: uh, iTunes, SoundCloud, all that fun, happy crap. Keep buying some shirts. We have some new. Uh, Nick, we have some new merch. We wanna, do. Want to tell the folks what we got? We have brand new Tutty shirts in white with blue font. They actually look really, really beautiful. Um, but even more exciting than that, in my opinion, is the new sweat are the new sweatshirts that we have. The new gray our state logo. It's the our classic Keystone with the line right down the middle. Um, I actually need to go order mine. I haven't done that yet. Yeah. It is a really, I mean, I, I have owned the blue Tutty sweatshirt for, I don't know, like three years now, I guess, three years now, whatever it is, and it is still my absolute favorite sweatshirt in the entire world, and I'm really excited to add another one because they are ridiculously comfortable, and for what you're getting, it's actually a ridiculously good price, what we sell them for, considering what sweatshirts normally go for in the store, so I would absolutely, absolutely could not recommend it more. Uh, it's an awesome, awesome sweatshirt. Just make sure if you do buy it, when you put it in the washing machine, make sure you tie the um, what do you what do you call the this what do you call the strings that come out of the hood? Just the strings. The string. Yeah. Yeah. Tie your strings in like a triple knot first, um, because they could come out in the wash. So yeah. Yeah, and I you know I wore my Penn State shirt today. I they're still great, comfortable shirts, and I'm sure you will love them if you are to purchase one of them. Uh, keep reading the site, keep supporting the site, make sure you follow us on our various social media handles at RLR blog on Twitter, Roar Lions Roar on Facebook, and yeah, that's all. I uh, hope you enjoyed listening to this edition of the podcast from my co-host Nick Pollock. I'm Bill DeFilippo. Take care, everyone. It's been a long day without you, my friend. And I'll tell you all about it when I see you again. We've come a long way from where we began. Oh, I'll tell you all about it when oh, I see you again. When I see you again. Damn, I didn't Bye. know they could hit those. All right, yeah, see you, everyone.